Let's give it up for the gifts up here this morning. Woo! And as, as you've heard me say before, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. That's right. As the kids make their way downstairs um, with their leaders, we're going to move back into our, our summer series. Um, we're having somewhat of a cerebral summer, um, if you will. We're going to be covering the ten core doctrines uh, of the Christian faith in this series that uh, we've entitled Believe, uh, Delving into Doctrine. Uh, we began last week, uh, for those of you who were here and will remember, uh, with what we believe about God. And today we're going to literally take it down uh, a notch uh, considerably uh, to what we believe about man. Uh, the biblical doctrine of man covers the core questions of human existence. I just feel like somebody's standing beside of me right here. I'm going to move this over just a tad. The, the doctrine of man um, covers the, uh, the core questions of, of human existence, the questions that rise from every human heart, the fundamental questions of where did we come from? How did we get here as human beings? Why are we here? The question of purpose how should we live our lives? Is there some sort of uh, a guide that's going to keep us between the ditches and some instruction on how to live our lives? And, and ultimately, as human beings, where are we headed? Where is this whole thing ultimately going? Is there life after death? Is there an eternity in store for us? These are the questions that stir in every human heart. The scripture speaks to and clearly answers these age-old questions that lie deep within us. The story of man begins in Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles with you uh, or your, your uh, tablets or your phone, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be hanging out in the first three chapters uh, of Genesis for quite a while uh, this morning. Genesis 1 begins with uh, what we refer to as the creation narrative. Uh, after creating the heavens and the earth, uh, if you'll remember, the light, the water, the plants, the sea, the animals, God speaks to the self-existent Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have existed since eternity passed, there's no way that we as finite human beings can get our minds around this reality. But the Trinity, this, this singular uh, expression of God who mani that manifests itself in three persons, in three parts, has existed since eternity past and will exist into eternity future. And in Genesis 1, God speaks to this self-existent Trinity... And he says this, beginning in verse 26 of Genesis 1, after God has created everything but mankind, the scripture says this, Then God said, Let us, let us make mankind in our image, Father, Son, Spirit, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea 
and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in His own image. And hold on to that for a minute. It's easy just to just hydroplane right over that. Think about that. You, me, every human being on the face of the earth is created in the likeness of God. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them. And He said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. God's like, I want more of you guys around here. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So God created us originally, I guess, as vegans. Tragic in my... No. Um, And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, God said, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very what? Good. Good. God said it was very good. Perfection. We're in the garden. Perfection. Unhindered communion with God for Adam and Eve. I mean, they're just walking with God in perfect relationship. There's no traffic. It's just the two of them. They've got blazing Wi-Fi. They're the only ones on it. Everything operated in the garden like a Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Perfect. Smooth. They always got the right sauce. They never forgot the straw. I mean, it was perfect. So you get the picture. But from that point until today, life has never been better. That was as good as it would get. In the beginning, man was created and crowned by God as the apex of his creation. And when I say man, obviously I'm speaking of mankind. That's our heritage. That's who we are. That's where we come from. And because of that, because that we are created and imprinted with the very image of God, that God gave us all that he had created to to subdue and 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 to have responsibility over, it gives us dignity. It gives us value. It gives us worth. And a lot of times we forget that. But we've got to go right back to the beginning and be reminded of who we are as children of God, as we have just sung. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So that answers the question, where did we come from? And then the question is, do you believe that? I do. I believe that the Scripture is is the inspired Word of God, that it is the authoritative Word of God to us so that we would know why He's created us and what His plan is for our lives. The answer to our existence is found in the first two chapters of Genesis. We were created by the author of all creation. 
his crowning achievement, given dominion, rule, and responsibility over all creation. Man is God's masterpiece, created in his own image, imprinted with his likeness, the Imago Dei. That means that like God, we are creative beings. We have an innate moral sense. When we come into this world and we're able to to develop and to think, we have an innate sense of right and wrong. And we see that across every culture. We're given the ability to think and to reason. We're able to love and to be loved. And just as God is sovereign over all, mankind was given dominion and rulership over the earth. David put it this way in Psalm 8. He said, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than the angels, speaking of man, and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. That's who we are. That's who God created us to be. God didn't create Adam because he was lonely. He didn't create people because he needed company. He created us for a purpose, a purpose that lies at the heart that he has placed in the heart of every human being. And that purpose rising from Scripture is captured beautifully in the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man, the question is asked. And in the Westminster Confession, it says man's chief end is to what? Glorify God. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. And to enjoy Him forever. That's the purpose of our lives. That's the purpose of every human life. To praise and to point to the majesty and the greatness of God. To enjoy His presence. To seek His guidance. To rest in His forgiveness. To embrace His love and to extend that love to others. Let me ask you something this morning. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with your chief end? (laughs) With your purpose? To glorify God with your life. To enjoy Him and find joy in the plan that He has for you. And sometimes we just need a wake-up call when it comes to that. I don't know about you, but I would love to say every morning I wake up and I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, locked in on my chief end. Every now and then I need a wake-up call. I need to be reminded of what God's ultimate purpose is for my life. I need a reset when it comes to purpose. And I think we all do from time to time because we're surrounded by distraction. We're surrounded by the enemy of our souls who runs the earth that we now occupy. And his chief goal is to take us away from our purpose and help us to be distracted and forget why we're here. But when you lock into that chief end, when you lock into your purpose, the rest of your life, the peripheral purposes of life begin to fall into place. Where are you going to live? Who you're going to marry, where you're going to work, and so on. 
Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So we were created and we were crowned by God and we had it good. As a matter of fact, God said we had it very good. So, so what happened to take us from that place to where we find ourselves today? From going from God's masterpiece to the mess that this world is today. From perfection and bliss to craziness and chaos. Well, the first two chapters of Genesis tell us where we came from. They answer the question of our existence and our origin. Genesis 3 tells us how we got into the mess that we're in today. And it moves man from created and crowned to sinned and separated. To me, Genesis 3 is one of the most, if not the most important chapters in the entire Bible. Because it explains the origin of the problem that we have. If you don't acknowledge the fall of man, which is where we are in Genesis chapter 3, and the problem at hand, you will never embrace God's solution for that problem, which is Jesus Christ. How many of you know you got a problem? How many of you figured that out? That something is amiss, that... You can't run this life and operate this life effectively in and of yourself. And I figured that out a long time ago. But I tell you, I can still fall right back into trying to control it. I can still fall right back into thinking I can run it effectively. The problem persists. Admitting that we have a problem is the first step to living into God's plan for man. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 and let's walk through this together. I'm going to walk us through this entire chapter, so just be patient um, with me. I, uh, I believe it's that important. Oftentimes we will uh, think that we know these, these early stories in the Bible, but going back and revisiting them... Um, God speaks to us into, into the situation that we're in today. So Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he, he, he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, This is Eve, and We may eat from the trees in the garden, which is what God said, but God did say you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, God didn't say not to touch it, so Eve has taken what God said one more step further. And, and Satan says in the form of this serpent, he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, the tempter. And you will be like God. You'll be your own God. You'll know good. You'll know evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The silence of Adam. It's a mystery here. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Shame enters 
the world for the first time. And so they showed fig leaves. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? As he calls to us. He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And we've been hiding from God ever since in our shame. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The one thing God said don't eat from. The one thing God said don't do. Isn't that our nature? The man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it, so the blame game begins. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, Hey, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You're going to crawl on your belly, and you're going to eat dust. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and in the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. But he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Amen? I don't know anything about it. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. So the curse comes to man. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That's a sermon in and of itself. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it for all the days of your life. So work and the strain and the hardship of work enters the world. Prior to this, everything they put their hands to was a joy in the garden. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin, so animal skin, for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And therefore we have right here the origin of animal sacrifice. We have blood that was shed for the remission of sin for the first time to cover the shame of mankind. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Again, the Trinity. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So he says, you can't go back. And take from that tree or you will eternalize your sinful fallen state. And so the Lord banished him from the garden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Again, so they could not eternalize their fallen condition. Through their choice to disobey sin entered the world, separating Adam and Eve from God and ultimately every generation that would follow. It's what is known as the fall of man. God gives us the freedom to choose Him, to choose to walk in relationship with Him, to choose to love Him, to choose to be loved by Him. Without that freedom, there could be no authentic relationship. If your spouse had no choice but to love you, is that love? 
Is that authentic love? Absolutely not. And it's the same with God in our relationship with Him. We have a choice. He gives us that choice. And in that choice, we can choose to disobey Him and turn away from Him. Adam and Eve chose self over the sovereign God. And for the last 6,000 years, we've been doing the very same thing. That's why Paul said in the New Testament, I die daily. What does he mean there? He means daily we must rise and die to ourself so that we can live to God. I love the way C.S. Lewis described it in Mere Christianity. He said, the moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting it first, wanting to be the sinner, wanting to be God. That was the sin of Satan, and that was the sin he taught the human race. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, that they could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That's our problem. And the Bible calls it sin. And the remainder of the Bible from Genesis 4 to Revelation 22 is the story of God's plan to restore and to redeem us from sin and self, to ultimately bring us back to Himself, back to Genesis 2, if you will, to the place of perfection that we once knew. The ultimate consequence of sin is death, separation from the life and the love of God. Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, And death through sin, in this way, death came to all men. We come by it honestly. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Adam's disobedience and fall introduced sin. It introduced death. It introduced decay into the physical and spiritual DNA of every generation that would follow, including our own. From a spiritual perspective, the Bible says that we are literally dead in our sins and trespasses. Entirely incapable. When we are born, when we come into this world, we don't have to do anything to be separated from God. We are born separated from God because of this sinful nature that we have. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We have no capacity, no more than a corpse would have lying on this floor of getting up and walking out of here. No capacity to connect or reconnect with God spiritually. We are totally depraved and entirely separated from Him. Paul goes on to say this, Consequently, Just as the result of one trespass or one sin was condemnation for all men, death, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. That word justification means to be declared not guilty, 
for the gavel to come down on your behalf before God and say he is not guilty of the sin that he has committed. He is entirely forgiven. The final chapter in the story of man is restoration and redemption. Throughout human history, God has relentlessly pursued us. That's what the Scripture is all about. It is the story of God's relentless pursuit of mankind to bring us back to Himself. And He ultimately demonstrates His love through the sending of His own Son for us. While we were yet sinners, the Scripture says, Christ died for us. And so as a loving Father, God sent Jesus to rescue us. He sent Jesus to restore us, to bring us home to Himself. He sent Jesus as a man to live a sinless life so that He could die a perfect sacrificial death on our behalf. He who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He took the consequences of our sin, death, upon Himself. Jesus died for you. That's what that means. Jesus died for me. Jesus died to rescue us from the consequences of sin. The consequences that every human being born into this world must deal with. For Christ died, Peter says, for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. This past week, we celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. You probably saw that all over the news and social media and what have you. Um, how many of you saw the 97, was 97-year-old man who parachuted in tandem uh, to, to, to replicate his jump into Normandy on D-Day? 97 years old, strapped himself to another guy and, and, man, just landed in the same field that he landed in 75 years ago. Can you imagine that? 6,600 Americans died on and around the beaches of Normandy on that day. Men who laid down their lives so that other men could live freely. How many of you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan? Phenomenal movie. Near the end, if you'll remember, uh, Tom Hanks' character is, is wounded and he's dying there, and he says to Private Ryan, whom they had been sent, Tom Hanks and, and a number of other men uh, in his platoon had been, had been sent to rescue because Private Ryan's, all of his other brothers had been killed in action, and that means you get extracted and pulled out, and so that's what that's all about. And, and, and Tom Hanks' character is laying there dying. They've lost most of the men who went to, to rescue Private Ryan, and and he pulls him close as he's dying. And does anybody remember what he said to him? Earn this. Earn this. In other words, all these men died for you is what he's saying. Hey, all these guys came here to rescue you. They came here to get you home. Now you go live a life that honors their sacrifice. An 
And that's essentially God's message to each of us in the cross. Paul put it this way to the Ephesians. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. And are you living a life worthy of the calling that you've received? That honors the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. One who would die in your place. Man, the difference is <laughs> we don't have to earn it. Amen? We don't have to earn it. Salvation, restoration, redemption, they're all God's free gifts to us that He is offering to us in the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. It's a gift. You don't have to perform to get it. You don't have to earn it. God is offering it to you out of the depth of His love just for you to receive and to be forgiven and to be restored into relationship with Him. The ultimate destination for those who receive that gift takes them full circle. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The penalty for every man ultimately because of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So this gift takes us full circle. It takes us back to a state of perfection. Back to an unhindered relationship. Back to the Chick-fil-A drive through For all eternity. For all eternity. But for those who choose to reject that gift. Again, God gives us a choice. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He gives us a choice to receive the gift or to reject the gift. And for those who reject it, there is an eternity surrounded by sin, separated from Him that we can't possibly even fathom. We'll talk more about the doctrine of heaven and hell as we move through the summer. So the question is, as I come to a close here, how do you respond to a message on the doctrine of man? Number one, acknowledge your creator. And God created you. You're his masterpiece. He loves you beyond measure. You have value. You have dignity. You have worth because you were created in his likeness. Acknowledge your creator. Number two, man, admit your condition. Admit your condition. Sin's the problem. And it's sin that has separated us from him. And finally, embrace the gift. Embrace your Savior. Jesus came, He died, He rose again to give you life. And God is just saying, here it is. Receive the gift and then live a life that honors His sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for life. Lord, it's so easy just to flippantly say that. But Lord, you are the giver of life. Thank you for the air that we breathe. Thank you for the capacity to, to think and to reason. 
to know what is right, to know what is righteous, to know what is wrong, to know what is sin. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides us into, Lord, the plan that you have for our lives. I pray this morning, Father, if anybody is in this room that doesn't know Jesus, that hadn't received this gift, Lord, that today would be the day. And I pray that you would draw them into the beauty of who you are and restore them to their creator. Father, those of us who can have a tendency to to kind of get off the path, I pray you would bring us right back to our our, our chief purpose, Lord, and that is to, to glorify you and to live lives worthy of the sacrifice that you've made on our behalf. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.